0: Flip your script. Understand that if you want to have success in leadership, it's less about me and more about we and your team. That's a quote from my guest today. It's Bill Gentry. He's an industrial organizational psychologist, research scientist, leader, and author of Be the Boss Everyone Wants to Work For, a guide for new leaders. So today we're going to look at some statistics around frontline leaders, and the statistics are going to might surprise you to demonstrate how they might not surprise you, but demonstrate how much frontline leaders are struggling. And then in my conversation with Bill, he's not only going to share about his leadership journey, which has been so interesting so far, but he's going to share a lot about his research and the practical things he's learned about what it means to flip your script. And there are six key flips that every leader needs to make to be successful. This is an episode, yes, it's for new leaders, it's for frontline leaders, it's actually for all leaders, because this process of flipping your script is an ongoing process. So I I guarantee you're going to get something out of it. You're going to learn from Bill's journey as a leader and from his research. So I'm excited to share it with you. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hit it, Michael. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Susie Price of Priceless Professional Development, where our job is to build energy, commitment, and communication in organizations. We're going into, this is our 14th year in business. I am a professional facilitator, consultant, an author, and a coach, and I'm your hostess for the Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast. Our directory of podcasts, this is episode number 34. And if you want to see all of the episodes, you can go to wakeupeagerworkforce.com. It's wakeupeagerworkforce.com, all one word. So I'm excited to be here today and to be back with you. I'm getting back into the podcast swing. It is uh, middle of May. Uh, Memorial Day is around the corner. It's been a wonderful first part of 2017 and it's been super busy so i'm I'm happy that i'm having some time to do this part that i love which is sharing knowledge my motivators i'm very high theoretical sharing knowledge for business i'm very high utilitarian which is just says what puts gas in my tank is learning and then sharing it in a business context so i love doing this and i'm glad to be back to be doing some more of it with you Wanted to let you know that we do have a free iPhone iPad app. And if you go to up dot com, you'll be able to download that app on your iPhone. And if you use Stitcher on the Android, that's where you find our podcast. I can be found on Twitter. It's at Wake up eager. Facebook, you just go to facebook.com, Wake Up Eager. And on LinkedIn, if you want to connect, just look up Suzy Price, S-U-Z-I-E Price, P-R-I-C-E. My business name is Priceless Professional Development. One other little note I want to mention is the way you find the show notes for this podcast today, there'll be some links and some things that we reference that you'll want to go to is pricelessprofessional.com slash flip your script, flip your script, all one word and lowercase. And that is our focus today. and, And so much of what Bill's excellent book talks about. One last mention, too, is if you like this show, please head over to iTunes. And if you go to iTunes and leave a review, others can find us. So I appreciate that if you take a couple minutes and leave a review. I haven't really talked about that very much, but love it if you do do that. And if you are using the podcast app, there's an easy place there where you can, if you're looking at your phone, where you can share a podcast. Easily via Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. So if you find something here that you like, that would be another way you could support us. So I appreciate that. So let's talk a little bit about some statistics. And I think you'll find these interesting. 40% of newly promoted managers fail within the first 18 months. 40%. That's a pretty high percentage. And 80% of frontline managers say when they were quizzed that they're dissatisfied with the job they're doing. So they know they're falling down, they just don't know what to do about it. And I see that a lot where people are struggling in in some of the coaching that I do, struggling with how how do you navigate these waters of moving from an individual contributor to a leader. And then 70% of the senior managers who the frontline managers report to agree that the frontline leaders are not doing the job that they need to be doing. So we've got Uh, quite a bit of dissatisfaction and an indication there with those statistics that people are struggling and in the role as a leader. It's just not uh, a black and white, easy transition for folks. And and the interesting thing that's so wonderful about being a leader is the opportunities for growth are never ending, right? (laughs) If you're listening to this, you're probably saying, yep, you're right. Always room to improve, Another statistic is 50% of frontline leaders are labeled this is by coworkers so coworkers were given their opinion 50% of them of those leaders were labeled as incompetent a disappointment wrong hire or a complete failure by coworkers so lots of opportunity in this role to grow and become better and not be part of those statistics, have more satisfaction, be more effective to not fail. The person, Bill Gentry, that I'm talking to today in his book, Be the Boss Everyone Wants to Work For, talks about this idea and the quote that I started with today about flipping your script. And he says, exceeding expectations and having a very set of special technical skills helps a person stand out from others and makes a high performing employee. And possibly a kick ass movie hero. But it does not necessarily make a boss everyone wants to work for. So this idea of flipping your script is, and I think it's keen insight around why so many frontline managers are struggling is, you know, we're excellent as an individual contributor. We could be a, you know, work on our own, kick ass movie hero, but those attributes aren't what make up a very effective leader. So There are resources in this podcast directly from Bill's book that are going to help you make that transition and excel as a leader so that you're not part of these statistics. So I'm going to share uh, Bill's bio, but since I was just talking about his book, I want to mention that there's a possibility you could get a free copy of his book on Audible. Uh, Audible is the, of course, audio version of books, and they provide something for listeners of the Wake Up Eco Workforce podcast. And that is if you use my affiliate link, it's pricelessprofessional.com forward slash audible lowercase all one word if you go to that link pricelessprofessional.com forward slash audible and you click on that and you go to audible from that link and then you sign up for a free 30-day trial they give you a free download and you could use your free download to buy or get not buy get be the boss everyone wants to work for so that'd be a way to support the show for you to get a book an excellent book. I've read it. A Red Bill's book. It's awesome. You're gonna you're gonna want to read it after you hear what he talks about here. But contemplate if you aren't already a part of Audible, trying Audible out, and in that you get a free book. Whether you continue, you know, using Audible month after month or not, it's one way that they support podcasts. And podcast people generally like audio books, so that's probably why they do that, right? So go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Audible. So now let's get into the show. I want to share with you a bit about Bill Gentry's bio. He has a Ph.D. in industrial and organizational psychology, and that degree is from the University of Georgia, which is from my neck of the woods, and he is currently the executive director of Brave Leaders, Inc., which is a division of the Brene Brown Education Research Group. And he is very much a brave leader. And you're going to see that in his humility and smarts during our, our interview today. He also serves as an adjunct professor at several colleges and universities. He's done a lot of research. As I mentioned, he is, in addition to being a leader, he is a research scientist. Some of the areas that he focuses on is 360 feedback research, Course with first time managers and new leaders, leader character and integrity, mentoring, derailment, politics, organizational politics, communication, and empathy. So he graduated summa cum laude from Emory with his undergraduate and then, like I mentioned, PhD from UGA. He has had more than 40 peer reviewed publications in all kinds of publications, the Journal of Organizational Behavior applied psychology many many lists there he's on the editorial review boards of several magazines he's been a contributor of businessweek.com he's been featured on more than 50 internet and newspaper outlets including harvard business review cnn and the wall street journal And so let's just get into our interview now. You're going to get to meet and learn from Bill Gentry. And again, the show notes for today, if you want to check out anything he's saying or any of the links we reference, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash flip your script. All right, now to the interview.
2: All right. Welcome, Bill Gentry, to our conversation today. How are you?
1: I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, so glad you're here. I can't wait to talk about being the best boss that everybody wants to work for and all of your solid insights. And we're going to get to those details around... Uh, your leadership background and, and experiences, and all the material from your book. But to kick us off, to just get to know you a little bit more personally, and just to have a little fun, we're going to have you share your answers to a couple of get-to-know-you questions. And the okay. first one is, drum roll, tell us about your favorite guilty pleasure TV show.
1: I'm. I'll be. I'll be turning 40 this year, so I kind of grew up, you know, in you know 80s, 90s and then, you know, 2000 stuff. So I love, (laughs) I love the Simpsons. I love family guy. That's like, those are one of some of my favorite TV shows out there that I usually watch. And there's a lot of TV shows that, that I watch. I mean, my DVR is just packed with stuff. So it's like, as soon as I record, it's like, I have to watch all of them to make sure that I can get the uh, more of the batches of the, shows that I watch but my wife and I we, we watch all sorts of TV shows and, and it's a good way for us just to relax and hang out together but she does not watch Family Guy or The Simpsons and I do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> my nephews love The Simpsons and The Family Guy. Both of them yeah. watch my nephews watch it and they're always cracking jokes about things from that sh- those two shows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The TV is a, to me. I'm with you in that it's a good relaxer, especially for me, for me. I feel like my mind is so busy; it just kind of is. It just relaxes me to watch mysteries or to watch, you know, different funny shows. And, and
1: the thing about guilty pleasure, I'm a leadership researcher. One of the best shows, in my opinion, to watch about what leadership is is Blue Bloods. I love watching that. It's on uh, it's Got Tom Selleck in it. It's about uh, New York police. The NYPD, the Tom Selleck, the commissioner, his father used to be the commissioner. He's got a couple sons on the force. One of his daughters works in the uh, attorney's office. Uh, I mean, it's just got a lot of leadership things that you can pull out, a lot of integrity issues and character issues that comes out in every episode. That's, that's one of the ones that I really watch from a leadership perspective, too.
2: Oh, okay. I have not watched that, but I do like kind of police procedural type stuff. Yeah. Um, So I need to put that on my list so I can actually decompress and kind of observe or get story ideas. So that's cool. Blue Bloods on the list.
1: There is always some sort of ethical dilemma in at least every episode. So it's really cool to look at it from that lens, too.
2: Yeah. But if we're just relaxing, Simpsons and Fall yeah. Guy are, the, are it. <laughs> right? This is the family guy, yeah. That's how I, I mean, family that's how guy is what I meant to say. Yeah. 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 Okay. You can tell I don't watch it. But my yeah. nephews, I'll have to ask them about it. Okay. So now what actor would you have play you in a movie? We're going to do a movie of you or yeah, about I'd, you or with you. Who would you pick?
1: So I always joke around that, you know, it's so hard for me to go through airports because everybody thinks I'm George Clooney. So it's, I get a lot of pictures taken of me. That's that's the joke that I tell everybody. But <laughs> uh, actually, some people have said you look like Lou Diamond Phillips. So I would probably say Lou Diamond Phillips, who's a uh, real big actor. But I'd also love to have like a George Clooney or Bradley Cooper play me. But if I had to have somebody that actually looked like me, I would probably say sort of Lou Diamond Phillips.
2: Is Lou Diamond Phillips? I need to look him up. Is he the guy in Longmire?
1: He might be. I know that a long time ago, he played Richie Valens in La Bamba.
2: Okay. All right. Cool. So if anybody sees you in in the airport, they need to ask for your signature. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right. So let's jump into the leadership uh, arena, and we're going to talk about your book. But prior to that, it'd be interesting because it'll tie to your book really well, is get to know more about you as a leader. And maybe we could kick it off with maybe the most challenging moment that you can think of or that comes to mind in your role as a leader and what it has taught you about leadership.
1: Yeah, I I think one of the turning points I had in my kind of leadership career is a very vulnerable moment for me. And where I am now at Brave Leaders, I think we talk a lot about, you know, vulnerability and, and trust and courage and the courage to step in the arena every day when you're a leader. And I just remember clearly I was sitting at my former organization at the Center for Creative Leadership, which is a wonderful organization. I was with my research colleagues who are on the management team and all of, you know, I, it was me and three other ones and then our director. So there was me and then one, two, three. So it was four of us and then our director. So it was five people in the room and we were just having some really just some issues around how we were all working together and how our teams were working together and the other managers in that room they've had way more experience of being a leader than I had at that time. They've been at CCL way longer than I have at that time, even though I was there for, you know, 10, 11 years. I mean, people there, they've they've been there for many years, uh, more than that. Or if they haven't, they're there about the amount of time I've had, but they have advanced through the managerial ranks a lot faster than me. So they've had a lot more experience, not just at CCL, but in managing than than I did. And You know, I just remembered I've I've got to tell them that I'm really struggling. And that was a very tough moment for me to do because it is really tough to tell your peers that you're failing or you feel like a failure or you're feeling like you're not stepping up or leading that role that you need to lead. And I I said, you know, this is really hard for me. I I do have to to tell you all the story I'm telling myself is, you know, I, I see you all there. You've got a lot more experience. Your teams have a lot more people on them. And the people that are on your teams have a lot more experience at CCL too. I have not been in this management role very long, and I'm struggling with that along with doing my work, and I'm trying to manage a team that's very young. And it's very hard for me to do it this time, and I really need your help in helping me to make sure that we're doing things that, that we need to be doing correctly and doing right and doing things that actually add to and enhance our reputation not only within our organization, but externally, I think that really helped them understand what I was going through and they didn't really know. And that was a very vulnerable moment for me, but it was something that I think helped me out a lot. And they saw me in a new perspective and they kind of had, I felt like they had a little bit more respect, even though they hadn't, don't get me wrong. They had a lot of respect for me, but I think it's just a different type or, or more respect for me at that moment. And they really, Helped me going forward to help me be better. I, that was a very challenging moment for me to admit that I'm not up to par of what I want to do. And but I think it helped out a lot.
2: Yeah, it's that piece of okay. If I admit, it's amazing how if you admit you don't know something or you need help, how people will rush in to help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because yeah. They now know, but we're afraid to tell because we think they're going to turn their back on us or something. Or That's right, you know.
1: and it's not fun admitting that you're weak or you know it's not even really being weak it's just and that's something that I think I did to myself I wasn't weak and no of course we're failures we're not weak at all we're just saying what we're feeling at that moment and what we feel like and and as you said people if you assume the best in people they'll they'll help you out if you're willing to take that leap forward and really admit what's going on um, at least it wasn't in, in my story
2: yeah, I think most of the time, as soon as you say, I need your help, people are like, whatever, if they had judgments or they're frustrated or, you know, maybe even it wasn't even that strong, but or they're pushing or they're, you know, expecting something. if you say, OK, I need some help with this, then it changes yeah. the whole dynamic.
1: Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. And it gets them invested in you. And of course, you you would do the same thing if somebody else asked you the, to to do that. So,
2: Right. Yeah. And
1: it's weird that we feel threatened or vulnerable to actually ask, but it's it's really an act of bravery to ask for those sorts of things.
2: Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's an act of bravery. Hence, your role as the director of brave leaders. It's an act of bravery to be vulnerable. But in the moment, all you're wanting to do is perform and look competent. Right. Right. and you actually look more competent when you actually say, hey, I need help. You know
1: you, That's very true. You really do. You're actually, uh, and and people see you as a human being uh, and not uh, just somebody who excels at everything, but they actually see you as human uh, and they see you as one of us and, and we're all here to help each other out. So
2: yeah, um, that yeah. was
1: probably, again, one of the most challenging moments that I can think of in, in my career so far.
2: Yeah. And as you said, it helped them understand you and gave them a new perspective. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk about a rewarding moment as a leader. Yeah.
1: So I I think when Brene Brown you know asked to be the executive director of her, of a division of her of the Brene Brown Education Research Group and that division is Brave Leaders Inc. I mean I I was a researcher I still am I consider myself a researcher I you know I led a small team at my former organization that looked at how data can help organizations understand their leadership strengths and their weaknesses and their gaps and just using that kind of big data analysis to do things. And I was leading that team. We were doing some pretty good things, but to know that somebody out there wanted me to, to kind of lead her division and, and to help people be more brave and courageous at work, that was just a, kind of a mind-blowing thing that really, it helped me realize that all the hard work that I've done in, you know, in doing research, writing a book, leading a team, understanding and studying leadership, observing people, it all kind of came together in just a really absolutely cool way that I'm still shocked. I mean, I've been in this position for about a month and a half now, and every day I still wake up going, how did I get here? I'm still shocked oh, that wow. I'm here. Uh, and it's it's just an awesome thing to, to be in. That was a really rewarding moment to when that happened.
2: Yeah, and it's just a little bit that I've gotten to know you, just from our one other conversation, and then reading your book. As it often happens, it, to as I look at it, and I know you know it. Part of you knows this too. It's like, oh yeah, that's so obvious, you know. But he's probably gonna, yeah. he's probably you know, like the absolute best person, because you're vulnerable in your book, you know, you talk about here's where my challenges were, and, but then you apply the research to it, you know, by saying, okay, but, you know, here are the keys to work through this. I mean, so it's going to be exciting to see where you take this division.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to see where it goes. It's a pretty cool thing.
2: Yeah, awesome. What is one thing most people do not know about you?
1: I've told people there's there's a couple things that have been really kind of cool that's happened to me. So I've I've run three marathons in my life, which is pretty cool. Um, cool. But I've are also, they full
2: marathons, like 26 miles? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, don't
1: forget the point. Don't forget
2: the point two. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. 26.1. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. Point, that's yeah, amazing. Point two. That's right. Point yeah. two. wish so, oh, I didn't even have the point right.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm an avid runner. I, I do run a lot. It helps me to decompress at the end of the day. Um, and help me kind of knock some stress out, which is great. But I also, um, play piano. So I've, I've played piano for all sorts of my friends' weddings whenever they've had them. I think one of the coolest things I've played piano at a concert hall in Harvard when I was in high school, uh, our, our choir from, from high school went up to Harvard to perform and I was, uh, played piano for one of the pieces. So I got to play at a concert hall in Harvard, which is pretty cool. And I also got That's to play cool. in Chicago when my friends got married. And the piano there was actually used at the inauguration of Ronald Reagan. So that was a pretty cool thing to say that I got to play a piano that was there at the at Ronald Reagan's inauguration. So I've played wow. in some pretty unique places and the music stuff, which I've had uh, all my life. I love music, so um, it's yeah. gotten me into into some pretty unique opportunities.
2: Yeah, that is so interesting. And even today, sometimes you will play at others' weddings.
1: Oh yeah, or is that? Yeah,
2: yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: You must be quite the piano player if you played in a concert hall at Harvard. And um,
1: yeah, I was just thinking about it. it. Was that was a long time ago, but uh, I can still right. remember it. It that, was
2: yeah, a lot of dedication to it, become that yeah. proficient in that. I would guess that's probably a stress reducer too when you sit down on the piano. Oh, it yeah,
1: yeah, it is. You can you can kind of play your worries away if you really get into it.
2: Yeah, that's neat. So tell us a little bit about your story as a leader. You know, uh, yeah, so, you talk a little bit about it in your book, and I've touched on it a little bit, but tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you are today.
1: I tell people it's kind of humbling, really. I, You know, I, I didn't know what IO psychology was in college, so I went to college at Emory, and I just remember, I, I thought I was going to go and be going into clinical psychology because that's kind of all you knew when you were in college, you know, but as I was looking at, programs. I saw this program at the University of Georgia that looked at leadership, and I was so interested in the study of leadership and what that meant in organizations and in the real world, all those all those things, and I said, I, want, I think I'm going to apply to that program, and, and luckily I got in, and then when I was in that program, uh, I did an internship at a wonderful organization. I thought, this is, you know, I got to dress up in a suit every day. Uh, there were for stock options. They were grooming me to be the next supervisor there, and I was going to replace my supervisor, who was also a a student mentor to me at my graduate school and a good friend as well. So things were all lined up for me. And all I had to do was pass a test, and and it was a a multiple hurdle. You pass the written test, and then you pass an in-basket, then you pass the interview, then you got it. And I thought, this is great, because the people who designed this test are industrial organizational psychologists from Chicago at a consulting firm. I'm getting a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. I should probably know how to, what to do. And it's all kind of, you know, study the stuff, you know, as I said, the humbling thing was I failed it. I failed the interview, the last part. And it was very humbling to me because I failed at something I'm getting a PhD in. I mean, that was a really just truly just, it it destroyed me for a little bit. it's like that I was, I was embarrassed. I was like, you're getting a PhD in this and you can't even answer the right questions. Or you again can, yeah. can't even answer the questions correctly.
2: But and it wasn't a mostly, test on how to be an IO psychologist. It was a test on how no, to be No, it a was supervisor, a test on how to be right? a leader. Yeah. Leader. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: was leadership, I was doing yeah, leadership. Yeah. in My own program so that made even doubly worse for me, but yeah, one of the yeah. things that stuck with me as as they told me was you didn't have enough experience being a supervisor in order to be a supervisor. And yeah. that yeah. That was kind of the seed that planted in me to write this book, you know, 11 or so years after that. So after I wasn't able to go into that organization, there was a, a postdoc opened at the Center for Creative Leadership, which is one of the top, uh, number four in the world right now, at executive education and leadership development. And I was uh, got there as a postdoc. I was lucky enough to be able to get that postdoc position, studied there, wrote papers there became a researcher there after my postdoc was done. As I said, started to train programs, design programs, took a management role. And then about, you know, 10 or so years later, I really wanted to look at that that story that happened to me was you didn't have enough experience being a supervisor in order to be a supervisor. That's yeah. really what one of the the seeds that was planted to help me write this book for people because there are so many people out there who don't have the experience to be a supervisor, and they want to lead, but they don't get it. Or they don't have the experience being a supervisor. They don't really want to lead. They're happy doing the work, but that's they get promoted into leadership in the first place. So how do you help all these people who are so great at what they do, they get promoted into leadership? And that's why I really wanted to write the book.
2: That's awesome. So you said earlier that when you were studying at Emory, you had always cared about leadership. Is there... Can you point to why or how or who made that important to you? Is it maybe having somebody in your life or something you experienced early on? I'm just curious because not everybody cares about studying leadership. So I was curious what your influence on that is.
1: There's two things. One, I remember as a kid, I got this book of the U.S. presidents, and it was like a sticker book, and you can – you know yeah. find the sticker put the sticker on the page so if it was George Washington you find George Washington put the sticker on the page and you read about his life and and yeah. uh you know Abe Lincoln and Truman and Roosevelt and Reagan all you know and I thought that and I just that's where I started getting interested in what leadership really was as a young kid and then as I grew up mentors and teachers have been really important to me in my life and and helping me move forward and give me the confidence to do all sorts of different things and The wisdom and the guidance is what, you know, really good mentors do. And I think having, being blessed to have a lot of them in my life to observe how they were seen as leaders in the classroom, in the community, as a leader to me, as a mentor or a teacher, that's what really got me interested in how, I guess you can say, how influential one person can be to another person. And Uh that's where, I think all of those things is what really So everything from just reading books from a sticker book when I was a kid to actually having really great mentors in my life who've made a difference in my life. That's what got me interested in the study of leadership and how we can help people be better.
2: That makes sense. Who's had the greatest influence out of all your mentors and teachers? Who would you say has had the greatest influence so far on your career? And then what are the things that they did that matter to you? I always think that's interesting to hear.
1: I've had I've had a lot of I could you know I've been trying to think which one of these great people have had the the most influence. It's hard to choose, but if I choose one, I'd probably yeah. say it was my uh, one of my college professors, Marshall Duke. He was my honors thesis advisor. So you know you got in the honors program, you had to choose a professor to help you you know write your thesis and and chair your thesis committee. And my thesis was on nonverbal communication and political debate, so we did a study to where we could see whether you looked at a debate, and in my case, it was four people running for mayor uh, of my hometown in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we cut off the sound, and people looked at one minute snippets just of their opening remarks with no sound
2: oh, and how cool we, is that? Uh, we, yeah we
1: saw them look for, it, and then after they saw that, they okay rate how you thought these four people came in in the election, who, who finished, who won it, who came in second, who came in third, who came in fourth. We also did it with tones of voices as well, snipped up clips of, uh, you know, two or three second clips for about 20 seconds or so of their voices. And then again, you hear all four voices, who finished first, who finished second, who finished third, who finished fourth.
2: Ah, oh, um, yeah.
1: What we found was people couldn't pick who won the election, but they, they can definitely pick who lost the election, who came in last. They were beyond chance knew exactly who came in last just by looking at them on screen and by hearing their tone of voice. But why Marshall was so important to me, I remember over Christmas break, I had written, I thought it was hot stuff. And I'd I'd (laughs) written the intro, I'd written the methods. I'd written all of it. I was going to hand it to him way ahead of time in January and give him say, Hey, you know, I've got this. We got our control. We can defend it. You're earlier than what you expect. Cause again, you know, I'm 22. I want to show that I'm, I'm worthy. I want to show that I'm worth something. I want to show that I want to impress him. He came back to me a week later and he sat me down in his office and he said, Bill, um, I talked to my wife about this this morning. And that's never a good sign when somebody says I talk to my wife. About it. <laughs>
2: yeah, Like, Oh, he okay.
1: Said, yeah. said, Bill, I've, I've got to tell you, your writing's horrible. Your writing stinks. And I can't have you go to graduate school writing like this. And that story really has stuck with me because he sent me to one of his friends at his temple who actually was a writing tutor. And it was very embarrassing for me because as I left her house that first day, there was like a fifth grader or a sixth grader that came <laughs> in. right after My writing was that bad. And it wasn't like horrible. It was just, technique and like proper usage of, of words and, and just sentence structure and know the ideas were there. It just wasn't written clearly. And As he said, he could not let me go to graduate school writing like that. And that really opened my eyes to, to know that, again, mentors are so important and leaders are so important because he wanted the best of for me. It wasn't about him and it wasn't about trying to, to show people he's got great students, but he didn't, that was secondary to to me personally getting the help that I needed so that I could shine in the future and that I could be successful in graduate school. And, you know, back then I could barely read a book, let alone, you know, write one. And, you know, 11, you know, back then that was 2000. So 15, 16 years later, I actually wrote a book and I still use a lot of the things that he taught me and that tutor taught me as well to help me with my writing. And that's the kind of thing that that's been the biggest influence on, on who I've been. Of all the great influences I've had, Marshall's been the best one because he didn't want to see me fail. Yeah. Even when I went off to graduate school, he didn't have to do a thing with me anymore. He didn't want that to happen. And I'm still friends with him and his wife and um, others to this day. So he's a very special person.
2: Yeah, so it's this thing about, and it's something I'm constantly, and actually, I just did a 360 on myself, and one of the takeaways was to be a little bit more transparent, a little bit, maybe a lot more transparent about what I am thinking, seeing, knowing. So so some of the feedback was that sometimes they don't know where I stand. And so your story is, you know, like his willingness to help you by giving you a little bit of blunt talk you know something yeah. that wasn't going to make you feel great, you know you're writing you in your words, you said he you said you writing stinks, <laughs> you can't go yeah. forward with this, yeah. you know, and so uh-huh. i I'd love hearing that because i I do a little bit of the blunt talk, but I don't do enough with clients. I don't uh-huh. think I trying to be more specific like that, and look how much it helped you.
1: Right, it definitely did.
2: His intent was to help, it wasn't to hurt or to impress <laughs> in some way about what he knew, but to really help you. And you were wise yeah. enough to take the advice and take action on it.
1: And I think it was okay for him to do because we felt we built a relationship over time. If yeah. that was the first meeting I ever had with him, that probably wouldn't have worked, but it was a relationship built over time. Um, yeah. And that's what he I He had I was earned the right to, to of-
2: coach you, too. That's the other yeah. piece that I'm always aware yeah. of. Have I earned the right to even say this? Yeah. So. I tend to hold back just a little too long, I think, but he had earned it. Hey, so I think that's an awesome story. I love that you shared it, but I did want to go back to your study just to not leave that hanging mm-hmm. a little bit because I'm curious, rating the people and looking at their tone and their nonverbal, so I'm just curious, what were people doing that came in last?
1: His dress was a lot different than everybody else. He was wearing an all-black suit and a red shirt and a black tie. He had on rose-colored glasses, so you couldn't really see his face. So again, those sorts of even the colors that you see can affect how you think of a person in terms of leadership. And then his tone of voice, it was very deep. I don't really know how to how to describe an aggressive tone of voice, but if you heard it, that's what how you would describe it. And I tell people there there's six different channels in nonverbal communication, even the way that you dress and especially your tone of voice, which of the six channels is the biggest part of the pie. All of those things help you or hurt you when it comes to being a leader. And so as as a leader, you have to be mindful of all six of those channels, not just one. And so the one
2: is dress, the second is tone. What are the others?
1: Yeah, sure. uh, Facial expression, rhythm and use of time, space and touch, the amount of space that you have in between people and, and touch. And then. I can always remember five out of six. Let's see if I can do this. Uh, Putting you on the rhythm. spot because
2: that wasn't on our list. It's in your book, I think, is it? Yeah, it's it is.
1: Uh, rhythm and yep. use of time, face and touch, the way that you dress objectives. Uh, gestures and postures would be the other gestures. one. of okay. Expressions, gestures and postures, yeah. So leaders have to be mindful of all six of those at every second of every day, even when they think they're not being watched. Because as I talk about in the book and as when I talk to leaders and train them, all eyes are on you every second of the day, even when you don't think anybody's watching. Yeah. Um so you've got to be mindful of how you are presenting yourself as a leader no matter where you are. Even yep. at work, outside of work, I mean you're you're a leader through and through.
2: And did you say out of those six, is it the dress and tone are the ones that are the make up the biggest pie no. or people kind of uh, perceive you?
1: Tone of voice, that paralanguage, that is the biggest
2: one. That's the biggest one. Tone, okay. I've got to clarify that. Well, great insight. And uh, I love that Professor, what was his name? Marshall?
1: Marshall Duke. Yeah.
2: That he was so direct with you and he cared enough to have that yeah. conversation. When you think about your journey as a leader thus far, thoughts around not everybody is going to maybe get a PhD or travel that route, but are there particular books or education or... We know for sure it's going to be your book, Be the Best (laughs) Boss Everyone Wants to Work For. We're going to put that on the list for sure, and we're going to talk about that more next. But other tools or insights or books, training that have been instrumental to you as you're growing as a leader?
1: I was able to design the program called Maximizing Your Leadership Potential, which is a three-day program geared for new and uh, geared for new and upcoming leaders, aspiring leaders, frontline, first level managers and supervisors. I was able to design that. And as I got ramped up to train it, I had to go through it as well. So it's one thing to design a program, then to actually yeah. go through it. That was a really, just like you said before, you went through a 360. Anytime that you can go through a 360
0: yeah. is
1: and open your eyes up to things. And if you don't have, so that was kind of a, the training program that was very influential to me. To help me understand that, you know, here are some things you got to look out for, but you've also got some hidden strengths and you don't have to be so hard on yourself on some of these mm-hmm. things. The other thing that I think any leader can do, even if they can't go to a training program, but still get that same sort of flavor of a 360 is ask for feedback. If you can do that, you're going to be uh, one step above everybody else and i've recently done some research uh with steve young he was he was one of the people who worked for me in my in my small team there at center for creative leadership we actually just came out with some research on you know what people think about feedback you know right now how much feedback do people normally give how much feedback do people normally get how often do they get it what types of feedback Feedback is a really important tool that all leaders need to have, not just giving it to their people, but also asking for it. Because yeah. if leaders are able to ask for it, you are opening up a culture of feedback, which you definitely need to get the work done up and down and around your team. So, having that sort of, if you can't go to a three day training program, if you can't go to a one day training program, if you can, help feedback, both the giving and the getting as highly important for you and your team to be effective, that's the type of work that you need to be doing so that you can develop more on the job.
2: Yeah, it's amazing how if you, and it is part of the being brave as a leader, if you can say it's A little process that I have people go through and it's borrowed from Marshall Goldsmith, but it's feed forward. I mean, you can do it in a huge group setting, you know, just to demonstrate it, but one-on-one having leaders say, I'm working on this behavior. Uh, Do you have any advice for me? You know, and then sit down and take notes and it's their job to listen and ask questions and not debate and it's amazing the power of that, and like you said, it's not just the feedback you get; it's the it's the demonstrating what it's like to ask for feedback. It just starts to create a feedback culture.
1: And if you act on it, <laughs> that will. And help if
2: people. you act on it, it's also yes, exactly right. Because a double sword is, you know, you ask for my feedback, and I always every time we do three sixties, like, okay, you're going to do something with this, correct? Because you've now asked, so you set up expectations that things are going to become different. So it's worse to do the, you know, asking for feedback and not do anything than to have never have asked because people's expectations right. are things are going to get better. Right. And when you say people should do something with it, like what I'm doing with my peers and my clients on the 360 that I just did is I'm giving back to them, you know, very a summary of here's what I saw as my development opportunities, here's what I'm going to work on, here's what some of the, my strengths were. And then you know offer to talk it through, would that be the kind of thing that you would say people need to do, or how would you coach somebody after they've gotten a three hundred sixty yeah. or they've asked for done the feed forward thing that I'm always talking about
1: and you you talk about Marshall Goldsmith, I'd give them some advice based on Marshall Goldsmith's type of research that he's been able to do with feedback and how people are seen as less effective or more effective after getting some sort of feedback or going through a program? I, I tell people if you really want to be seen as effective after that three sixty or after the feedback that you've been given say, thank you. You tell them what you learn about it. Maybe even tell them what goal that you're now going to try to set. And then, you know, the icing on the cake is hold me accountable to it. Give me feedback on how well I'm progressing towards this goal. That gets, again, that gets others invested in me, invested in my development. And if I am apt to listen to that and actually they can see whether I'm doing or not, or give me feedback on how I'm doing or not, They'll be more apt to listen to the feedback that I need to give them. And, again, mm-hmm. it's a feedback culture, and it's a developmental culture that just by mirroring what you would want your people to do, and if you're doing it yourself, you're going to grow a really good feedback culture with your team and your organization.
2: Keywords there, mirror what you want people to do. Okay. Anything else about education, books, training that you want to mention before we go into your book?
1: I think that's a good segue
2: for the book. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> Just making sure I wasn't moving too fast there. So yeah. we have talked, mentioned your book. Let's go into some detail around it. You, you talk about flipping your script, and you talk about yeah. six areas or focus areas for flipping your script. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the idea of flipping your script and what that means, and then touch on the six areas.
1: Sure. So flip your script is like the red thread throughout the book, be the boss everyone wants to work for. And what I mean by that is we all have scripts in our lives. It's it's just like we talk about TV, (laughs) TV shows or movies or plays, whatever. We all have a script in our life for individual contributors and organizations. That script that has gotten all of us really successful at what we do. It's a me, myself and I script. I tell people it's like that old breakup line. It's not you. It's me. It's the focus Uh on me my skills and my talents and my technical savvy and my motivation and me coming in early and me staying in late and me doing all the things better than everybody else and separating myself from everybody else. That's what's got me raises and bonuses and promotions. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that script. And it's been successful. It's made us successful in organizations. Heck, it's it's probably made us successful as kids. Think about it in school. My smarts got me my grades. My grades got me an education My education and my personality, wherever the case may be, got me my first job. And again, that focus on me got me all of these great benefits and raises and bonuses and promotions and the spotlight and everybody seeing me for who I am, which is great. And again, nothing at all wrong with that. And that script helped a lot of us get into leadership. And if we keep living that script, we're going to fail as leaders. I mean, we've seen it in uh, derailment research that I and others have done uh, at CCL. One out of every two managers are ineffective in their roles right now. And one of the key pieces why managers are ineffective is they keep living that script, that me, myself, and I, it's not you, it's me Mm. script. And what I tell leaders is if you want to be successful, you have to flip your script and just put that script on its head and say, you know what, it's not about me anymore. Focus less on me and more about we, as in our team, as in it's not about my success anymore. My success is now going to be around my team's success or my direct report's success. That's what's going to make me successful. So flipping your script is saying, you know what, going from it's not you, it's me, to now it's not about me anymore, that's what's going to make people effective as leaders. And based on the research that I've done, almost 300 new leaders, I've been able to look at six key aspects of that script that needs to flip. Uh, in order for leaders to be successful. And I can talk to you about it uh, real quickly if you'd like for me to.
2: Yes, please do. Yeah,
1: great. So the first one is a mindset. You have to flip your mindset. One of the cool things that I was able to look at in the research as people came to the programs at CCL for that new leader program that I talked to you about before, they had their 360, so I had access to look at their 360s, but I also asked them, before the program started, fill out this survey about your motivation for learning and development. Why are you here? Why are you coming to this program? And all of us have these two different types of motivations. One motivation is, you know, I'm coming here because I want people to know how good that I am. I want to put up a certificate on my wall. You know, when I get back to work, I want people to know that I'm gone for three days. I want (laughs) want people to know that I'm special. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But that is part of the It's Not You, It's Me script. Again, it's the focus. Yeah, I was on going to say, yeah, it's a me, partner. myself,
2: and I yes, kind
1: of exactly. thought process. Yes. yes. The other motivation we all have when it comes to training development or learning and development is, you know, I want to, I'm I'm coming to this program because, or I'm listening to this podcast because I find learning fun. I find it pleasing. I find it intrinsically pleasing. I find it uh, a joy to learn. I love learning. And what I found was of those two motivations, the more that a person had of that last one that I've just talked about, learning is fun. It's yep. exciting. It's intrinsically pleasing. If that motivation outweighed the other one, those were seen as more effective in their, in their jobs based on their 360s. The least effective managers, it was completely opposite. That first yeah. motivation of I want yep. people to know that I'm here, that I'm good. If that was their leading motivation, they were seen as less effective. So you got to be able to flip your mindset and think about, you know, again, even in wanting to learn about leadership, it's not about me anymore. And if you're able to flip your mindset to think more along the lines of, I want to learn because it's fun. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult. What Carol Dweck says in terms of a fixed versus growth mindset, having more of a growth mindset, wanting to learn, knowing that you'll make mistakes, learn from your failures, learn from your imperfections, that growth mindset, that's the kind of mindset that you need. So that was the first Kind of flip that I found in the research that I did was flipping your mindset
2: It's interesting um out of a uh, hundred liters this is just a small little Susie research, right, so a hundred mm-hmm. liters. Who had completed a tool? That a lot of folks that work with Priceless have completed the Trimetrics assessment. One of the areas that is measured is continuous learning. So, uh, taking mm. initiative to learn. And it's not a 360; it's a psychometric tool. But so the continuous learning. What I found out of the percentage of the hundred leaders who were struggling, nine out of ten of those had that were struggling had low continuous learning. So it ties directly into what you're talking about. So they're right. not they're not finding the joy if you're going to take initiative in learning if you realize, okay, it can be fun and it's going to be hard and I'm going to make mistakes, but that's interesting that Definitely. you actually have real research, that's just my anecdotal research. But yeah. um if you're going to move into leadership, it is a ongoing learning. You're never going to master it. That's right. Always. And if you think you've got to master it, then you're going to be continually frustrated because it's always going to be a growth edge (laughs) or a new opportunity, right? (laughs)
1: Right. That's right.
2: Okay. So we're going to flip our script and our script is getting away from me, myself, and I and moving towards we. And the first part of that is mindset.
1: And the second one that I found in my research was skill set, a lot of leaders get promoted because of their skills and it's their technical skills. And what I found through their 360s, part of their 360 was asking their bosses, their peers and the direct reports, you know, of these competencies that people are learning as, that they're gonna be rated on, what's most important for success in their organization? And are they even good at it or not? And what I found was there were four different competencies or skills that stood out, meaning everybody said, you need to do well in these to be successful in your organization. Yeah. These are most important for success in your organization yet not a lot of the first-time managers that I studied were very good at it. And I talk about all four of them in the book. Two of them I talk about specifically in the skill set portion, chapter of the book. It's about communication and influence. And notice it's nothing about technical savvy. It's it's, It's not anything about knowing the intricacies of the stuff, but it's really about how do you communicate well and how do you influence really well. And those are the two things that a lot of leaders need to understand. It's, again, The old script is it's not you it's me i'm going to communicate the way i like to be communicated with i'm going to influence the way i know how to be influenced but the leaders who are able to flip their script are really able to understand look i need to communicate the way others want to be communicated with and i need to influence others the way others like to be influenced so again it's not about me anymore and thinking about their understanding of how they want to be influenced and communicated with so that's what I talk about in terms of skill set, trying to think less about how I like to do things and more along the lines of how others want to have communication and influence. And that's how you can flip your script around your skill set. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've talked about uh, mindset and skill set. The third flip that I talk about is relationships. One of the other key pieces of research I was able to look at before they came to the program, these uh, almost 300 new leaders had to write down what are your three biggest leadership challenges that you're facing right now? And the number one challenge mentioned by almost 60% of these new leaders, one of their biggest challenges was how do I go from being a peer to being a boss? How do I go yeah. from being part of a team to now leading a team? And that leading team achievement is a is another skill gap that I found along with communication and influence I just mentioned. Again, how do I lead teams? I mean, I've been part of a team, I'm a superstar. I'm an individual contributor. I, I, I'm one of the, the biggest contributions uh, continually in my team, but now I have to lead them. And a lot of those yep. people I have to lead, I've worked side by side with them for months or years, or I just had them over for supper <laughs> and, and our yeah. kids soccer <laughs> yeah. together. now I have to be their leader. How do I do that? And that's the third flip that I talk about is how do you flip your relationship from going from a peer to being a boss? And how do you actually go from being part of a team to now having to lead that team? Yeah,
2: that's a tricky dynamic to master. It
1: is. is. And I don't think there's enough out there telling people that when you go from being a peer to being a boss, you have to take ownership of that relationship and be proactive in having those meetings and say, you know what? Our relationship might have to change now. We have a different dynamic now. It doesn't mean that we can't not be friends anymore unless there's something in your HR file that says you can never be friends anymore. You can still be friends, but you need to clearly draw those boundaries out and have that proactive conversation. You can't wait for yep. it to come to you. And we yep. need to yep. uh, help our new leaders have that script ready. You know, <laughs> you know have those have three those <sighs> and tell them, these, these are the types of things we need to talk about. And it's nothing personal, it's business. And that's what we have to think about right now in this new relationship. So flipping your relationship, talk about mindset and skill set relationships, really important. And then the fourth flip that I talk about has to deal a, a little bit with that as well as a new type of relationship you have to have. I call it flipping your do-it-all attitude because a lot of individual contributors, again, they got promoted into leadership because they could do everything. And when right. you're a leader, you can't do everything anymore. And, in fact, if you try to do everything, think about the types of messages you're sending your folks. You know, if you try to – if you take away other people's work because you can do it better, because you can yep. do it faster – Um, You're telling them I don't trust you and you're telling them I don't think you're good enough to do this. So the ability to delegate is highly important in that new role that you have to play now. And when we've talked already before, it's coaching and developing and mentoring other people. Because, again, my success as a leader is not going to be based on my ability to do things. It's my success is going to be based on my team's ability to get the work done because their success is what's going to make me successful. So I can't do all the work anymore. I have to coach them and develop them and mentor them to do their work effectively so that they can be successful, which will eventually lead to my success. And and I I talked before, you know, those four skill gaps. Everybody says they're important, but not a lot of first-time managers are good at it. Communication, influence, leading teams, and developing others. And that's where I I talk about the developing others part in that chapter. So we've talked about mindset and skill set and relationships and do-it-all attitude, The last two are perspective and focus. So flipping your perspective is all about how do you deal with the politics and organizations? How do you go from having a very narrow focus of getting the work done to now broadening your focus and understanding how your work matters to other peers, how you work with your peers, how your work is part of the machine of the organization? How do you manage up? How do you manage in the matrix? How do you get the work done? How do you influence others over whom you have no influence? Politics yep. is a really sticky subject and I tell people it's, it's not positive or negative. It's just the air that we breathe in organizations. So how can yep. we be politically savvy enough to understand? Here's my perspective. Let me understand your perspective and how can we both win at this? And that's what, poli- that's what a really good perspective around politics is. So flipping your perspective and then finally flipping your focus is all about how do you lead with your character and integrity intact? I don't think there's enough being done in organizations right now to help people understand the amount of influence that your decision can have on people, on processes. And if you don't believe that's true, think of what's happened at Enron and WorldCom and and Bernie Madoff and BW and and, uh, Wells Fargo and all these other places that something could have been done. And if you're not thinking about the enormity of your decisions as leaders, you have to start thinking about that now.
2: That's non-ending. I mean, it's yeah. I love in your book, you talk about the Tyco CEO at a graduation ceremony. He said this. I wrote down the quote because I thought it was so great. He's telling Mm -hmm. the graduates, especially because this time of year, everybody's graduating. It's May. You know, you will be confronted with questions every day that test your morals. The questions will get tougher and consequences more severe. Think carefully for your sake, for your sake, to do the right thing, not the easy thing. Awesome quote and he gets arrested <laughs> that's why I was kind of yeah. saying it funny you know i remember that story with him he got arrested and you know it was very visible but it just it makes your point about this idea of staying every day focused on doing the right thing
1: yeah definitely and the research i've been able to do has looked at character strengths uh, of leaders and at the very top of the organizations, those chief executive officers and presidents, the research that I've done has seen that of several character strengths we were able to measure, integrity was the most important predictor for their success. But when we move down the ladder of organizations to like middle-level managers, integrity, when you look at it in combination with all sorts of other character strengths, in singularity, yes, it does predict performance. But when you put it kind of like, as I tell you, when you put all these character strengths in the same pot, which one comes up to the top? integrity had nothing to do with their performance, which was very troubling to us when we thought about it. But again, if you think about why we promote people, we promote people based on their current performance. And if based right. on our research, integrity, along with all these other character strengths, if integrity has nothing to do with their current performance, you might be promoting people with integrity, but you might not. You don't know. And you won't know until sometimes it's too late. And that's They're on a why bigger stage. <laughs>
2: until they're on That's a right. bigger stage. Yeah. That's, That's right. that is so interesting. I just this the reason I took that 360. I just got certified in the Executive Presence Index and it's for executives and and it's measuring character, substance, style and integrity is a big piece of it. So it this is very interesting what you just said about People who are in the entry level to middle management, you might not know what their level of integrity is because they're not getting promoted or it's not really making their performance. The difference in their performance as much as it does as they grow. So you could be promoting people that don't have strong integrity. Is that what you said?
1: That's right. But if you need it, the higher and higher you get. Why not talk about it right now? Because it's definitely something that you need later on. And if you think about it this way. These first-time managers and new leaders on the front lines, they manage the biggest portion of population organizations. They have the biggest hand on employee engagement, productivity, teamwork, all of those things. They have a pulse of what's going on. And if they are in charge of the biggest population of workers and organizations, think about the amount of, we talked about before, role modeling and what people see in their leaders. And as you talk about graduates, a lot of these graduates are going to enter the workforce that's the first boss that they're gonna ever gonna have. That is gonna influence them on what leadership is for the rest of their life. Yep.
2: So I like that. That's an interesting fact around that. That's yep. and a great way to look at it. So out of these focus areas, and I know they're all important or you wouldn't have them in the mm-hmm. book, but if you were to say if a new leader's listening right now, or somebody who maybe is seasoned leader but is struggling, what would you say that thing they could focus on that could have the biggest impact right away could be? Might be a I hard question flipping, to answer, but
1: for me, it was flipping you- your relationships. So it was going from being a peer to being a boss. And then also, how can I lead this team? Because, again, I've been a worker and now I have to actually lead a team of other workers who want to do well. Right. But they need to be shown. And I talk about in the book. Direction, alignment, and commitment is a really great way to think about how do I lead teams effectively. And it's based on research from from CCL from that they've done as well. Whenever effective leadership happens, direction, alignment, commitment, those three things usually yep. appear. So as a leader for me, setting the direction, for me personally, setting the direction where we're going, not a problem. Gaining commitment, motivating people, not a problem. It's that alignment. It's the role clarity. It's This is what you do. This is why it's important. Yeah. That's been the biggest issue for me. For others, it might be different. But for me personally, thats the yeah. that's been the key sticking point for me prior yep. where I was and where I am now at Brave Leaders Think How can I provide the right amount of role clarity so that people exactly know? Because believe me, for the organization I'm in now, we are invested. We know the direction. We have a lot of yep. committed people, but we need to know exactly what we're doing. And you can't yeah, have... Who's doing what, deals. where
2: and when, who owns what, exactly. that type of thing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. that's one of the big things that has been a weakness for me. And it's creeping up again. And so I'm really trying to focus hard to help people understand this is exactly the type of work you need to do. This other work, you don't need to do it. Here is who can do it. Here's why you don't need to be doing it. And here's why if you fall short of the things that you do, here is how it affects other people, other processes, other other work. So that's been my big goal from what I've had in my new position.
2: Right. So you're actually you're focusing on that really right now. I liked when you yeah. talked about this area. Your suggestion of hey, I'm a new leader or I'm taking over a team where we were. Used to be all best friends, you know, being proactive about the conversation, which is a little different from your current situation right now, but may apply. And the other thing I was thinking about, and it's interesting that it ties to what you're thinking about, is, you know, having a dashboard. Everybody has a dashboard. You know, they know what the top yep. three to five priorities are. They know how they're being measured. They all know what everybody else's dashboard is, and that could be yep. a piece. For any of the folks, my friends and clients that are listening, the the dashboard that we always talk about could work. You know, for the part mm-hmm. around the alignment piece, definitely. Awesome. Any other thoughts around that? Around that focus area and having the biggest impact, the flipping your relationship.
1: No. I, again, I think we talked about a little bit before. If if you are going from being friends now being a boss, you as a leader, it's on you. It's your responsibility to go have that conversation. Because again, if you don't and you kind of leave it unspoken. And you start giving your friends different types of resources or bonuses, even though they might deserve it, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to question your authority. So you've got to be proactive in having those one-on-one conversations with them and everybody else on your team so that everybody knows exactly what the playing field is.
2: Yep, that is real smart. Uh, Is there a focus area that's most challenging that you see across the board for leaders?
1: Yeah, I think we've talked about how important that flipping your focus is. For me, that was the hardest chapter to write in the book. It's the most, (laughs) it is probably, all of those are all, you know, flipping your mindset and your skill set and all those things. There's kind of a a right and wrong way to do it. But when it comes to questions of ethics and integrity, there should be a right and wrong way. But every, you know, there's always a say, well, what about this? And what about this? That is probably the hardest one to really hold to because your character yeah, there is. There there really is. And if we don't again, if we don't pay attention to it, it's gonna affect us and a lot of it's gonna affect us when it's too late and it affects more than just me or my team. Again, think about Volkswagen, think about Wells Fargo, think about all these other people yeah. who have affected a tire company. Market.
2: United even, you yes. know, with the recent yes. airplane United thing, going, you know. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so with it, you think you know, about as right. a, a new leader, what are two or three things you and I know you have resources that go into this, but two or three mm-hmm. things you could do to focus in this area, to focus in the area of focus.
1: (laughs) Right. If you haven't done some sort of values alignment, you know, writing down exactly what are your key values, that's something you should do right now because your actions and behaviors come from your values. So if you are very clear under what your values are, if other people know that those are your values, and if trusted mentors and advisors know what your values are, whenever you have or made a decision or done something that might be a little out of whack with those values, they'll call you out on it. And that's the type of thing leaders need. So I would think the the big thing for people to do is write down what your values are, what are your top two or three values, and how does that affect every decision you make? Have that known to people and allow people to call you out on those and take it to heart when they do. And then also do a case study. Think about if I were in this position, what would I have done? So being prepared, that's really How can you be prepared for that next questionable ethical decision you're going to make if you see how other people have done it and the repercussions that have happened and you think about, okay, if I were in this, what would I do? That's just going to prepare you for the time that you're actually going to have it done.
2: Yeah, and that's part of that, flipping your script overall, just thinking like a leader and realizing that your decisions have impact.
1: Yes they have impact not just on you not just on your team but your yeah. your organization shareholders other people yeah. I mean just uh, all sorts
2: Yeah I like, with the values alignment, it, it, what came to mind since we talked about TV shows earlier is I don't know if you ever watch NCIS and Gibbs always has these rules, you know, and they're always saying that's yeah. rule number ten, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and everybody knows what they are, you know, and they all keep that's... each other in check, you know. It's almost like uh, you could actually have a, a team. You have your own start there, but also have you know here's how we're going to work together. Here's our guidelines. Right. Same kind of thing. It could ripple out. Well, your book is is has. So many nuggets and it's hard to cover it in the short time that we're on a call today, but I think you've done it justice in that people understand the depth of it, the practicality of it, you're sharing your experience, plus it's all tied to research. It's just not somebody's, you know, boy, that's a keen idea. It's There's real research that backs up the ideas. So I'm going to encourage everybody to go out and get the book, and I'll have a link in the show notes, and it's Be the Best Boss Everyone Wants to Work For, A Guide for New Leaders. As we come to a close, I would love to ask you some final closing questions. And then our very last question is going to be about one last bit of advice. But Bill, when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind?
1: Um, Actually, it's one of uh, another teacher of mine, a professor of mine from Emory, and it's actually Marshall Duke's best friend, Steve Nowicki. He's told me often that when he and Marshall came into Emory together, which was 40 plus years ago, a lot of people told both of them that, you know, if you really want to make a mark, you can't be writing things together. You need to go out there on your own and do it on your own and write these articles on your own and write these books on your own. And Steve went, no, <laughs> that, that's, that's my friend. We're going to write yeah. these things together and they've written books together and their families are just integrated together. You know, it's like they go out every Thanksgiving. It's, it's the Nawicki Duke Thanksgiving, you know? Uh, oh, how cool. Yeah. vacation and they have all these traditions and their best friends, their wives are best friends, their kids have grown up together. I mean, it's just like an extended family. And it's helped me to understand that one, your career isn't based on the amount of things that you write. It's based on the relationships that you have. Uh, and it's the relationships yeah. you have with your colleagues. It's the relationships that you have with friends, it's the relationships you have with your family. And knowing that relationships begin and end, and it's really up to you to help understand the cycle of relationships and to see people change all the time. And if you really, those key relationships, you have to be able to change and adapt with them for those long-time relationships to last. So for me, success is not about the amount of books that I'm going to write or the amount of journal articles that I've written or, you know, maybe even building this company, Brave Leaders, Inc., up to something that's going to be just great. It's how am I treating the people that work with me and work for me. It's how I'm working with clients and how can I do all of these things and still be a whole person with my wife, with yeah. my friends, with my colleagues that I have. That's what success really should be all about.
2: Yeah, that's great to have the big picture view, And when you're somebody who likes research and information um i could tend that way i don't have uh, all the experience that you have in regard to the degrees but i do get lost in data and mm-hmm. information and love it you know but i could also the blind spot is you know letting things like that lag and um i've had to really work to make sure that doesn't happen and so i think it's awesome that you had such a great role model the new wiki duke team <laughs> yeah and <laughs> that yeah. how that is and i think i remember you telling me you're newlywed too aren't you
1: I am. We've been married for uh, just a little over a year and a half now. I think after a year, you're not a newlywed. You're not a newlywed as
2: much anymore, but (laughs) yeah. yeah. So good focus. I'm sure she appreciates it too. (laughs) Okay. One other couple, two other kind of fun, Mm -hmm. but self hopefully self revealing and helpful to others questions. What advice would you give your 25 year old self?
1: You know, dream big. There's nothing wrong with dreaming big, but also dream the dreams that you don't even know exist yet because at 25, I never thought I'd be able to work at a wonderful organization where I was. And then to be called from a New York Times bestseller over and over again who wants somebody to lead her her division for yeah. trying to get her work into leadership. I didn't even think that sort of job existed. So just, you know, That's dream so cool. big with the dreams that you have, but then just be open to what else comes about because you never know what's out there and what people yeah. see in you again i pinch myself every morning just thinking how did i get here and it's it's just a it's it's a surreal type of thing but if Um, you go back to my 25 year old self and just say hey you're going to have some really great things happen be open to them and dream things that you don't even know exist
2: yeah that's awesome that's awesome i love that if you could have one billboard anywhere what would it be and what would it say
1: it would say flip your script. I mean that, that's that's the uh, yeah. whole the whole red thread that we've been talking about. Uh, understanding that if you want to be successful in leadership, it's it's less about me and and now it's more about we and our team and and flipping your script. To it's not about me anymore. That's kind of again that if if there's one thing that people will get out of this interview, that's really what I yeah. hope they understand is how can I be able to flip my script so I can be more successful to the people that I lead and
2: serve. That's awesome. And so that might be your one bit of advice you want to share with I every leader. <laughs> Is it? Is it your billboard? It's your billboard. I love it when it's a lot like that. Uh, your billboard yeah. and your advice. Anything else you'd like to add around wisdom or advice around flip your script?
1: Yeah, you need to flip your script to be successful, but you can't do it alone. So, again, I've, we've talked about the importance of mentors and advisors getting people on your side to be that mentor advisor to you. And it could be one person. It could be several people. It could be people that you've had in previous organizations, people you've had in in your education. It could be your husband, wife, or spouse. It could be somebody in your community, in your place of worship, your coach, your mentor, anybody. Having those type of people to help and support you in doing this because it's not an easy thing to do to flip your script. It's challenging. It's frustrating. You don't get... Any rewards or accolades for it, <laughs> you know, short uh, term. Yeah. But if you can have people on your side and to help you and to know that you're going to make mistakes and to help you learn from them, that's what you really need. So flipping your script, yeah, that's the billboard. But if there's any advice on to help you to flip your script, get as many people as possible who you trust
2: to help you do that, yeah. who's on
1: your side to do it, and for you to do that for other people as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yep. I love it. Well said was perfect. So as you can, everybody who's listening can hear, Bill has a wealth of information to share and you can find out more about his book if you go to William Gentry, G-E-N-T-R-Y com. William Gentry com. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And there you can see his book. You can also get it on Amazon and you can also see a list of resources. So each one of the focus areas that that bill talked about today there's some coaching tips and ideas around each of the six areas and more about flipping your script
1: that was the one thing I wanted to make sure that people got out of the book again it's it's not about the research and, and all the stuff that's out there I wanted some practical actionable content yeah. for people to use and at the end of each chapter there's what I call a coach's corner and based on what you read here are two things for you to think about to get a deeper understanding and here are two things that you need to do within the next two weeks or before the next meeting or the next six months, whatever the case may be, to enact the stuff that you read. And because I had to cut down so many words out of the book, I still wanted it somewhere to be kept, things that just didn't make the books. That's where that Be the Boss resource is there. Oh, okay. I wanted, you know, if you want more, that's a great place to have it for uh, Be the Boss Everyone Wants to Work For.
2: Okay. That's good to know. Let's close with you talking a bit, little bit about the Brave Leaders Division of Brene Brown and how people can reach you. And I'll put these links in the show notes, but let's close with that. You talk a little bit about sure. so, what your focus is uh, and how to reach you.
1: Yeah. So now I'm I'm Executive Director of Brave Leaders, Inc., which is the vision of the Brene Brown Educational Research Group. For those of y'all who might know Brene Brown or, or might not, uh, she's a wonderful person. She's written three, I think, New York Times bestsellers, The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, and Rising Strong. She's writing another book right now that's going to be out later this year in 2017. And what she really wanted to do was how can she help people live a more brave and courageous life? And one of the visions of her organization is is about you know, how you live it in your own personal life through parenting or other, you know, through relationships. But she wanted also, how can we live this in organizations? How can we build brave and courageous leaders at every single level of the organization? How can we help people understand the importance of vulnerability as to, you know, facing risks and uncertainty? How can we get people to be very clear on their values? How can we get people to build trust? How can we get people to rise from setbacks and failures? Those are the things that Brave Leaders Inc. is really all about. So a we're building a courage-building program to help people be more brave and courageous at work through vulnerability, through clarity of values, trust, through the ability to rise from failures, rising skills, and several other things like empathy and feedback. How can we get people to be more brave and courageous at work? So that's what we are out to do and help people to do that effectively at work because we need more of those types of people at work.
2: Yes, definitely. So if people want to reach
1: Sure. I was just think go to uh, WilliamGentryLeads.com. You can find me there. The division that I'm in charge of for Brene is BraveLeadersInc.com. And if you want to know more about Brene, I would definitely have you just type in Brene Brown in your browser. There's going to be a, a couple of TED Talks, one of them on vulnerability, which is one of the, yep. I think, top five most viewed TED Talks ever. She's had yep. a couple of TED Talks there. Her books are great. And again, what we're trying to do is those TED Talks and those books are awesome. How can we apply those to organizations to help build more brave and courageous leaders? That's what we're out to do. And it's leaders and organizations, but also educators in K through 12
2: awesome. through our daring educator oh, program,
1: wow. too. So it's leaders and organizations and
2: it's uh, education, too. Oh, wow. Big mission. Talk about dreaming big. They got
0: That's the right. right person there. And Thank it's an awesome so mission.
2: That's awesome. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you. All right. As we come to a close today for this podcast, episode number 34, I'm going to share a few links with you and a couple of reminders and tell you a little bit about what's coming next. First off, how did you like the podcast? If you liked it, send me a note at the uh, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash flip your script. You will see at the end of the page there an opportunity to give me some feedback, or you can just email me, Susie at pricelessprofessional.com, S-U-Z-I-E, and tell me a little bit. Or you can go on to iTunes and leave us a review. I really could see and feel the depth of his research and knowledge. And also appreciated his humility and openness. And, you know, when he was talking about as a leader, people are always mirroring what you do. And I think that he was mirroring exactly what he's representing as the new executive director of Brave Leaders, Inc. So I just applaud him for that. And I'm excited to see where his adventures take him with that organization and that message about being a brave leader. During the podcast, we talked a little bit about expectations, and I mentioned the job dashboard. That's something that I talk about a lot with people that I'm working with. The podcast for that go into detail is pricelessprofessional dot com slash expectations. I did four different podcasts around accountability and how to build accountability in the job dashboard is a great way to list expectations. It's a very easy process. So when I want to mention that. If you go to the show notes, you'll see that link, or you can just go directly to pricelessprofessional.com slash expectations. We also talked a little bit about feed forward and this idea of, you know, what can you do? And that's getting feedback and demonstrating what you want your employees to do more of, to be open to receiving feedback and giving feedback and. And so I have two podcasts around that topic, and they've been very popular. Pricelessprofessional.com forward slash magic is where I go into detail around what feed forward is and how to do it. Pricelessprofessional.com slash magic, M-A-G-I-C. Lowercase, And then I did an interview with a senior executive, Dennis Walenta, over at TPI Hospitality. That is an awesome interview because he's been using feed Forward with his uh, people who work for him and for himself. And uh, we talk about it and another process that we use. So pricelessprofessional.com slash Dennis, D-E-N-N-I-S. And that will give you that episode. You can go to that. Listen to that. We want to go to WilliamGentryLeads.com. There's a link to that in the show notes, WilliamGentryLeads.com, where you can get a link to his book as well as those additional resources that he mentioned. And uh, just a reminder that if you go to PricelessProfessional.com slash Audible, you can buy his book, Be the Boss Everyone Wants to Work For, actually get it for free, and then uh, using my link pricelessprofessional.com slash audible you can get his book for free with a 30-day trial and then they give a little bit of a very tiny affiliate fee to priceless professional development so check that out if you'd like to try an audio book and try out audible.com want to let you know that i am as i mentioned at the beginning back in the podcast swing And I'm going to be talking with, I'm getting ready to interview a chief technology officer about what they're doing around culture shaping. So I'm going to bring that to you. I also recently became an exclusive partner with an organization around executive presence and influence, and I was certified in their executive presence index. So I'm going to be talking more about that, and I'm going to interview to experts who study and teach on the field of presence and influence so i'm excited i'll be having them come out here soon and we'll have an interview to share with you there so that you can think about okay how can i you know have more presence in my role and um and influence and how do we measure that and all of that will be some things that you can use as a leader show notes for today pricelessprofessional.com flip your script if you want to reach William Gentry or Bill Gentry, go to williamgentryleads.com. And then he his most recent as executive director, that website is braveleadersinc.com, braveleadersinc.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and let us know that you enjoyed the show. And I look forward to seeing you down the line. Thanks for tuning in. Have an awesome day. All the best.